0: A little bit in the book of Philippians, um, we're still in chapter two. We're cruising along at a snail's pace, uh, but today we're going to go through five different verses. We're going to look at Philippians chapter two, verses nineteen through twenty-four. Um, this text, for many of you, is might come across as very very simple. It might be very easy. Um, and for people like me who always try to find some deeper sense or like to be very analytical and like to think through so many different things, um, this can often be very difficult for me because this morning there is not too much here that is um, incredibly theological. These aren't deep concepts that take hours and hours of laboring over to really understand. It is not as if these this text and this particular set of verses is something very difficult Um, to understand, which is one of the reasons I struggle at times uh, with different texts of scripture. The book of Psalms, for example, we talked this morning about Psalms. Um, It talks a lot about the feelings and the emotions. There's a lot more to that that does not always equate with how I naturally learn and understand and like to um, see things in logical mechanical sequences. So at times I struggle with understanding Psalms or Lamentations or different poetic languages here. Uh, but this morning, we're going to see a continuation of where we've been in the past four or five weeks. We're going to look at Timothy as an example that Paul gives in verses 19 through 24. Uh, one thing I'm going to say now, I'll probably say it at least, I think, three more times this morning. Timothy is being used as a model or an example, but he is not. The supreme model, he is not the true example or the true model of what it is that Paul is trying to outline he's already done that and I want us just to go back for a minute as we tend to do and see the progression that is built from the beginning of chapter 2 on down he goes through verse 4 and talks about uh, he says look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others and let this mind be in you which was also in who? in Christ. He's already started with the greater example in all of these different things. He's using the foundation for his argument being this in the example of Christ. And he goes on to explain the humiliation and the humbling of himself, of which Christ did, and being found in a fashion of a man humbling himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That at the name, in verse 10, of, of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth. And one of our favorite verses, verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we mentioned before, this is an absolute reality, a promise, something that we have confidence in, that those today who deny the name of Christ will one day confess that he is Lord and have to bow before him. The difference is it is not going to be in the way of praise and adoration that so many of us have done and that we've talked about even this morning in our prayer. Adoring God for who he is and all that he has done. Uh, We understand that in the end, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we see Christ as the prime example. And so as I talk about Timothy and as we talked about paul in the past i want us to always keep in mind this is all under the umbrella of christ as the example um it's easy to look at different people um, and to constantly have to remind ourselves this person is not christ this person is not who i want to model myself after it's very easy as we've studied so many of the new testament epistles to look at paul and to say man i want to be like paul And I understand what what we're saying. I understand the desire to do so and to use that as a practical model. But understand our true goal should always be to be more and more like who Christ is. I am thankful that in our sanctification, God does not say, I want to make you more like Paul. He doesn't say, I want to make you more like Timothy or next week. I want to make you more like Epaphroditus. I, God, am conforming you to the image of Christ himself. And so I want us just to keep that in mind, and again, I'll probably qualify it later on so that we don't misunderstand uh, Timothy not being our goal here. But let's read uh, our short couple of verses here in our text. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 14. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which share Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful this morning to be able to enter into your presence with with others here in this place and as your church, as your people to gather together to, to praise and to adore you for all that you have done, that in these things that we sing which recount the works that you have done and the different character and attributes that you show and that you possess, God, I pray that that we do so joyfully, that we do so with an incredible sense of gladness, having true hope, true confidence, and a firm resolve in these things that we sing, those things which we discuss, and those things that we pray. God, we pray this morning that you would allow this text, though simple and very, uh, very practical and very short, I pray that it would be something that we truly do continue to understand that these are the very words which you yourself have spoken to us, and that even in these simple things, you can do a mighty work in each and every one of us here. God, I pray that you would continue to be honored and glorified this morning in the way that you are so deserving of. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We, we've talked at uh, decent lengths in the past of the relationship from Paul and of Timothy, and we see here this morning, it says, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you. We, we remember that Paul, again, is where we always find him, um, wrapped up in chains, chained to a guard. Again, this guy was not very good at avoiding uh, being arrested. It was something that happened very frequently in many of these letters that we see with him. But he's saying he's trusting in the Lord to send Timothy. And we have to understand who Timothy is. We know that Timothy at different times was counted like a brother by Paul, at other times more like a son. Um, Paul was an incredible mentor for Timothy. Um, they had been a companions for about 10 years before Paul was writing this, so they had an incredible relationship that was built over a long period of time. But notice what he says, and this is a phrase that we often see in Scripture, but we can kind of just pass over it as if, well, that's Bible language or that's just Bible speak. It's not incredibly significant. There is a prepositional phrase here, again, Word nerds and grammar people, hop on the bus, it's exciting, okay? But I trust, and what are the next three words? In the Lord. These are incredibly profound, deep, significant phrases, much like so many others, that we can often just gloss over and say, but I trust, as if it's in these parentheses of, well, in the Lord, of course. But there's nothing assumed, there's nothing casual, there's nothing common about it. The only thing common is that it is used so frequently, but every single time, incredibly significant. Paul is writing this again in prison. He is chained to these guards, and he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you. Not only does he get any bit of trust, not only is that the source for his trust is all trust that he has is built and founded upon the Lord, but we also are going to see later on and in so many places, the object of his trust also being in the Lord. Not only does he draw trust from God and all that he has done, but his actual object, the only object of his trust is in the Lord. Think about how often we make our plans, right? He is saying right here at the beginning, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you. All of these things are to happen and then slide down to verse fourteen or verse 24. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. He is trusting that he is going to be able to be there. Now again, this is not Paul saying I have an ungood authority that the Lord is going to break me out of these chains and I will be there in a short time. Paul is not saying that this is absolutely going to happen 100% guaranteed because I trust in the Lord, and since I trust in Him, He is going to make what I want to have happen. He's going to make it happen. This is often where people can misunderstand by saying, I trust that God is going to do blank. But you don't always know what God is actually going to do. You can trust, you can have some confidence in these things. The only thing that Paul is trusting in and confident in is that God is the one who is going to make it happen if he sees fit and if he wills for it to be. Paul is having a plan, but understands this is all if the Lord is willing, that his plans are in subjection to what God is doing. We make plans each and every day. How many of you, will even do a show of hands, have a plan for today? of hands how many of you have a plan for how the day is going to go you woke up okay maybe it wasn't part of your plan to be here this morning maybe it was part of your plan to watch you know tom brady again i don't know what the case is okay we all make plans each and every day to do different things here's the problem our plans we have no confidence in them we shouldn't practically we put a lot of faith and a lot of stock in our plans but think about how many times in your life your plan has changed Some of you, that even happened today. Okay, our plans changed um, almost a little bit this morning, even with music, because the monitors weren't working as you all became aware of in the first song. Monitors started to work right away, all of a sudden. Last three Sundays after each service, everything sound-wise has been working perfectly, it's been going great, not a single issue. Sunday morning, it's practice time, all of a sudden with nothing being touched, not working. Yeah, Wednesday night. Yeah, you guys should have been here for that. That was all sorts of exciting. Okay, Uh, plans do not always work out. Paul at different points has said, I long to be in this place, but we also know that he did not always get to where he desired to go. He also likely was not desiring to be shipwrecked as often as he was or beaten as much as he was or thrown in prison as much as he was. I do not think Paul had these things, On his plans. But he is saying firmly, I am trusting in the Lord. This trust is also translated as confidence in all of these things. Um, Confidence, the whole word being with faith. There is a firm reliance on these things coming to be, and all of it is placed firmly in the Lord. This is not an absent minded saying where we would tagline at the end, I'm going to do this, Lord willing. It's not a casual, a flippant understanding of, well, you know, Lord willing, of course, as if that's just how we talk in church, right? And it's also not unknowing as if who knows what God desires to do. The big question of what is the will of God, we often get bogged down and think, is it to work in this place or this place or to buy this house or to buy this house or to shake with my right hand or my left hand? And we narrow it down so much... But we can also broadly understand that the will of God is to seek him, to serve him, to honor and to glorify him, and to be faithful in obedience. When we are in line there, so many other things can fall into place. Timothy was from Lystra. He had a Jewish mother and a Greek and pagan father. Uh, we're familiar with the grandparents a bit. We understand that the salvation that he had received, the uh, learning that he had, and training that he had uh, received was in large part due to them as well as likely a first missionary journey from Paul. So there's an incredible appreciation between these two in this different relationship here. But why is it now that Timothy is going to be used as an example? First Christ, then Paul himself, and then now Timothy. Why? What is different about Timothy? Why is it significant for Timothy to be rightly understood as a model for these things. It says, I trust in the Lord to send Timothy shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. He's sending Timothy to be encouraged when he hears about their good condition. If you're familiar with Paul, you know how greatly he longed to be with others in the church, to be with other believers. We know so many that are a part of other churches, and if we want to know how they are doing, how other churches are doing, we can look online, we can text somebody, we can Skype them, we can FaceTime them, we can email them, any of those different avenues. What was Paul's option? He had to wait months at times to ever hear a single report from what went on at a church hundreds of miles away. He was greatly burdened, he greatly longed to to hear about the care and the condition that is going on there. And it would have taken months at times to know. How much can change in three months even in your life or in a church in three months? It is unimaginable the amount of things that he would have had to sit there and to hear about. But he's sending Timothy to be encouraged because, again, notice the positive language. Paul has been exhorting the Philippians in so many places, commending them for things, and he's wanting to be encouraged or of good comfort when he hears the report that Timothy is going to give. But why send Timothy? Quite simply, there was nobody else that Paul knew that was like him. He's looking around at all these others that he has served with, he has ministered with other people in this area, and says, there's no one else like Timothy. And he's going to explain why. The first being, he is like-minded with Paul. The actual Greek word here indicates equal-souled or one-souled. He is of one soul, of one heart. He is unified with with Paul. Some of you have someone like this in your life that you know you're so close. It could be a brother, it could be a sister, it could be a best friend, it could be someone you just met, but you are incredibly like-minded with that person as if your hearts are intricately attached to that other person's. It even could, It could be the spouse. So many people when we get around them and we get to know them a bit and we say, wow, we are incredibly like-minded, it's as if you're finishing their sentences. You have the same goals. You're trying to do all of the same things. You're concerned with the same things. Now, in contrast, there are many people, even for Paul, that he knew that did not have the same concerns that he would have had. I brought up the example uh, this morning in the Sunday school. I was talking about uh, our C-team tournament up at the high school, how one of the other coaches, um, I shouldn't have told you guys which school it was, so I'm not going to do that now. So if you were here, you get a sneak peek and a little bit more information. Um, at one of this other school, the coach had no control over his players at all. Um, kids are dropping F-bombs, talking about other um, girls, talking about the female official, making fun of other players, making fun of every single person that was basically around. At one point, the coach finally addressed it. The kids come back swearing at the coach telling him, telling them not to say anything to him. And the coach had no control, couldn't respond, didn't do anything about it. Now, obviously we understand that some of that flows down from within the home. We understand where these things come about. But the reason I'm saying this as an example is um, coach Heisel then after in our post game, we ended up losing the team. We sat down, we talked with the kids, all the basketball stuff. And then he jumps in and says, Hey, I want to, I want to encourage you guys with the way that you conducted yourselves, that you guys didn't go and start um, talking about everybody else, that even when they were pushing and they were saying different things to you, you didn't respond. Essentially, this big summation for taking the high road, right, for conducting yourselves in a way that is positive and in those things. Because then he addressed, because he said, none of the three coaches that are on this staff would ever allow or want any of you to be like that and thinking that is okay. Um, Based on the faces that you guys have, obviously a lot of you are concerned about that. Um, The coaches that currently are on our staff, and I'm so thankful for it, we care about the kids. It's training kids to be successful in what it is that they're going to do, teaching them these different bits of character, growing them as individuals. Not everybody has the same motivations for why they do what they do. Not every basketball coach is wanting to train up young men and women of good character, of good principles, and of all of these different things. They just want to win basketball games. But really, how insignificant is that? You want a basketball game. Paul is sending Timothy because they're like-minded. They have the same goal. He is saying not everybody is going to actually, right here it's naturally, this is a genuinely, um, better translated, who will genuinely care for your state. There are so many people that we could send to go and check on the health of a church, to go and hear a report. You could send a different person, they'll come back and say, the church is this size, it's grown this much in the last two years, so here's the diagnosis, they're healthy. There are others who would go and say, hey, let's look at the church. Is it a praying church? Is it a church where people are together and unified in what they do? Are they devoted to actually studying the word of God? Then there's a diagnosis. Not everybody is concerned with the same exact things. Paul could have sent so many different people. He is desiring to send Timothy because he is like-minded. Timothy was a disciple of Paul. So who do you think Timothy was looking up to to be more and more like. He's looking to the example of Paul. The goal of discipleship is always to be like your master. We've lost some of the sense here today, but I know there's still some families and some of you who do this. This was not the case for me of the child, especially the son always going to work with the father or the father training up the son in their particular trade of saying, "Hey, don't use this tool. Use this one. Don't do that. Hey, slow down. Don't do this so quickly. Do it this way. Trust me. I've tried that. I know what you're thinking. It's going to go miserable. You're losing a finger if you do that. Training up people to be more and more like your master. And parenting, we see it training them to be more and more like you. But for many parents, and I'm going to throw myself in this, and I know many of you, so I feel confident with this, You want your child to be much, much more than you are currently or that you ever were. Which is why Paul here is exhorting Timothy in so many places, hey, don't just be like me, continue to be more and more like who Christ is. I don't want my kid to be me. The reason is I know who I am. We know who we are. We push our kids. We want our children. We want to train up those to be more and more like who Christ is, and Paul is saying, I'm sending Timothy because he is going to be genuinely concerned for your state. Do you know people who are not genuinely concerned about others at all? We've encountered it, we've been around it, we've lived around it for so long. Timothy is genuinely concerned. Verse 21, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. So again, he is saying, so many others are seeking their own interests, their own priorities, their own preferences here, not those things which are Christ's. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. He is simply saying, so many others desire their own interests and seek their own way, but he has the interests that are that, which are aligned with with Christ's, consider your interests. If some, if someone were to go and to look for a person to go send to give a report on how things are going in a particular place, to check in on a family, to check in on a church, to check in in a workplace, do you have priorities that are in line with those things which Christ has priorities for? Consider your own interests. We see so many different verses of their God is their belly. They're seeking after their own. There is no unity in these things. Churches divide and split up when everyone desires their own interest. Churches fall away when everyone is seeking their own, not the better of those that are around them. And notice the language in verse 22 at the beginning, but you know the proof of him. They were familiar with Timothy. Timothy had been, he had proven worth, proven after the testing, the same way that you would test the medals. He had been through the trials and he was proven, if you remember the person of Demas, when things started to go well, he continued to minister with Paul for so many years, and eventually, where did his interest start to slide? Towards himself. He began to be infatuated with things in the world, and then he ends up falling away, and we see Paul being broken over this. Timothy had served with Paul in the gospel, and so he, he, he is desiring and hoping to send him. Timothy surrendered himself and his own plans in service to Christ and ministry with Paul. And if you're familiar, we know that Timothy was eventually imprisoned for his faith and for his act of service. Timothy is an incredible example to look at simply in the sense that when we look at Christ, we look at that example, we discuss, hey, be more like Christ. Christ did this so we can look and we can do that. But in the back of our minds, we can often say, well, he was sinless. He was perfect. I could, never, I could never do any of these things. So then he gives himself as an example. He gives Timothy as an example. He's going to give Epaphroditus as an example in these things. But we see even in these few short verses and with the context here, the incredible importance of having someone mentor you in your life we see throughout Titus we see in first and second Timothy we see a need for the older to train up the younger Uh, my generation has done a very poor job of having concern with anybody outside of its own peer group we we, we've tended to think that we can just raise ourselves right Um, young people so often aren't seeking out older people in an effort to actually learn and to grow one of the greatest opportunities I had to actually learn was back in college, freshman, well not freshman year, that was a miserable year. Um, sophomore year, junior year, senior year, working at the youth group that we did in Indiana. Um, the person that was running the youth group's name was Tim Bradley. He was a very practical guy, very straight, uh, no nonsense guy, really firm. But he ran the youth group and he wasn't so much the guy that was teaching me theology, teaching doctrine, teaching those things. But what I did learn more importantly from him than all of these other things was how to be faithful in things, how to be devoted to prayer, and how to love God and to serve other people. Um, anybody could teach cold, hard doctrine on a whiteboard. Any, anybody can do that. But not everybody can actively live out these things as an example. Showed an incredible love for the kids. I mean, youth group was running from like 4.30 till about 9 o'clock in so many things. Kids constantly at the house. You see um, submission to ministry. You see sacrificial service in all of these different things. And it wasn't because he was compelled to in any kind of a way. It wasn't because, well, you have to do this. He simply cared about the kids enough to forego anything else that was important to him in the time. And those are the things that I take most from that three- to four-year relationship is actually seeing a practical example in front of me and learning from that example. Some of you have people that have mentored or discipled you in your life, and you look back and you are so thankful to God that you had those people. Now, I also understand that some of you never had that example, but you may be that example for other people. Churches are never meant to be full of just one generation. It's not supposed to be Um, Just one ethnicity, one age group, all male or an all-female church. It is completely integrated in all of these things where younger are seeking out being discipled from older, older coming alongside, training up younger people, because where would so many of us be if we never had that in our life? Mentioned it months ago when we decided to uh, be done having the children's church, and part of the large reason was... It's great for kids to learn. It's great for children's church. I'm not absolutely against it at all, so please don't hear me when I say that. But it is so important that kids understand what goes on when big church is happening. For your kids to sit next to you as you are singing songs of praise, as you are worshiping through song, as you are hearing an exhortation of the word, hearing the word being brought forth, and actually emphasizing that because it is so lost in so many places. Five-year-olds, you're in here. Uh, 10-year-olds, you're in here. Middle school, you're in this room. High school, you're in this room. Young adults here. Singles here. uh, Ladies here. Men here. Then everyone gets together. What do they talk about? There's no common understanding. There's no mutual sharing of things. There's no training up. Um, As a kid, I would go home after church and ask my dad questions about what I learned in Sunday school and in children's church. Do you think he could answer them? He had no idea because he didn't know what it was that we had been taught. Imagine how beautiful it is, and some of you have understand this. I am so thankful for it, to when we're home and your child comes and actually asks you the question about what it is that the pastor said, and you are able to explain those things because your child desires to understand it. The home being a primary source of the discipleship, particularly for children. then again in the close of our text, but I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. He greatly longed to be with them because he understood how significant the church is. The church was not just a place for people who are like-minded to get together and smile and just be like a club. It is infinitely different than any other club that anybody is ever a part of, because the church is is a body of believers gathered together before the throne, praising God for all that he is and all that he has done for all of eternity. Imagine if we truly understood, in all cases, this example. We saw Philippians 1.27 here in closing. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come... And see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which he saw in me now, which he saw in me and now here to be in me. One mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. It is given to you as a gift of Christ not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. Timothy understood this when he joined Paul in ministry. Timothy absolutely understood it, as he himself would later be in prison for the very things which Paul too was imprisoned for. Next week, we'll see this other example here, and again, we can take these things and try to dig down and look for so many more things, but simple understanding of a practical individual throughout history, a person much like any one of us, actually living these things out. We've talked for weeks about working out your salvation, working these things out, exhibiting, living a life which is reflective of those convictions you hold. The person claiming to be redeemed by the blood of the cross, claiming to be a new creation in Christ who is actually these things. These things will be displayed. And we see it in Paul. We see it in Timothy. We see it in Epaphroditus. Some of you see it not only in those others around you, but you can look back at these examples and know that this is absolutely possible. Is Timothy perfect? By no means is Timothy perfect. Is Paul perfect? He'll be the first to tell you. He is absolutely not perfect. He says it all throughout Scripture, but he's all of these things, trusting in the Lord for these things, knowing that any work that Timothy or Epaphroditus or Paul has ever done was only out of the goodness and the grace of Christ himself. And in closing, even though I've already said in closing one time, we're going to do it again. I encourage everyone here, whether younger or older, to find someone, and it does not have to be a church program, it does not have to be with a sign-up sheet that gets passed around in church, it does not have to be in so many of the other ways that we often wait until that opportunity has been provided, to seek out someone to be discipled or mentored by, and for the younger to absolutely um, take that up if someone is seeking you out. For the older to seek the younger, the younger to seek the older, for a church to be ingrained in discipleship where there is a mutual sharing and a mutual benefit in these things. Paul and Timothy were like-minded. They had genuine concern for one another. They were united in all of these things. And is is that not how the church is to be? So much of the second half of Ephesians talks so much about unity in the spirit. One faith, one Lord, one baptism. What is there for us to be separated on if we've been united in Christ's death and in his resurrection. Let's pray. God, we thank you again this morning just for even seeing such a simple example of of Timothy of being commended by Paul just in the in the very ways that he exhibited with genuine care for those that are around him and we've seen in past weeks of of those that are in Christ of your people standing out in a crooked and perverse nation and in a a call to be lights in the world we understand that there's going to be times where we are going to need to stand out there will be times that by natural result of who we are in our condition and with our being identified with you that we are going to stand out to those that are around us understanding there may be consequences that come there may it may not be imprisonment it may be mockery it may be being laughed at by those that are around us but god i pray that in a time where so many different values so many different issues so many fundamental truths are at stake in the world and conversation i pray that you would bring about of people to hold fast and be firm in those truths, that we wouldn't make concessions on those things that we know to be true uh, simply for the approval of man. God, as time continues to move, and as we've seen in Scripture, that even the disciples and even those there in the early church were eagerly anticipating the return of your Son. They eagerly anticipated these things at the time, for them was now, that it was bringing them to act as they lived as if those things were absolutely true, and we know them to be. But God, that was so many years ago. How much more important is it for us to be faithful in this time? We know that you are the one who works all things, that you bring all things to be, and that that bringing those to you is not a work that we ourselves do, but that it's all dependent on you and your will. But God, I pray that this morning we would be bold and faithful and courageous to be obedient to what it is that you've given to us as we understand from the example of Timothy, the examples of Paul, the examples of so many in Scripture who simply saw commands and and sought to obey them out of a love and a gratitude and a thanks for all that you've done. God, I pray that this morning you would bless the rest of our conversations with one another, that as we gather together in a short time here uh, for a brunch, that our conversation would be worthy of the calling of the gospel, worthy of the identity that we have in you. And God, I pray that as a church we would be genuinely concerned for those that are around us, have genuine concern for one another, that we would seek not our own interests, but the interests of others as well. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As Mrs. Pace uh, just plays for a minute, just offering a time of silent prayer just to adore God, to praise him for all that he's done, to praise him for putting people in our life that have been an incredible testament and encouragement to us.